Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. We continue our series in the book of Romans called Lifestyle of the Gospel. So let's turn in our Bibles to Romans chapter 15, verses 14 to 20, as Dr. Newfeld brings us a message entitled, Our Apostle Paul. I'm reading Romans 15, 14 to 20. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God, to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. As it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. You know, the book of Romans is a letter. And sometimes when reading Romans, we are tempted to forget that. I mean, after all, the book reads like a theological lecture and maybe even a sermon at times, but the book began with the words, to those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints. And that tells us, well, this is a letter written by Paul to the Christians in the first century in the city of Rome. And when we get to the end of the book and come to the section I've just read, we're reminded once again that this is a letter to a group of people. And because it's a letter to a group of people we don't know anything about, it's, it's very tempting to skip by sections like this. I mean, after all, we don't know these people and we don't know their circumstances. And furthermore, one of the places mentioned is a city, Elyricum. I mean, where in the world is that? So our eyes kind of cloud over and as I've said, it's, it's tempting to simply move on. But we really mustn't do that because there is something here that that all Christians must know and understand. And that's because even though it's true that this book was written so many years ago, the Holy Spirit knew that we today, in our culture and in our churches, really do need everything in this book, including this section. And so the Holy Spirit directed Paul in the writing of every single word that he wrote. But what does this passage of Scripture mean to us? Well, for starters, we've got to look at verse 16. There Paul calls himself a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. And then in verse 17, he says he's proud of his work. And then in verse 19, he says he's fulfilled his ministry. And then in the rest of the passage, he tells about his future plans. And in short, this passage is all about what Paul has accomplished and what he still anticipates that he's going to accomplish. Okay, but what does that mean to us? Well, go back again to verse 16. There Paul calls himself, and I quote, a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in this priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, I know it's a mouthful, but let me break it down to one phrase at a time. First, 
Paul says he's a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. Well, listen to him as he talks about that very thing in Galatians chapter 2, verses 7 to 9. And there Paul defines himself in his relationship to the other apostles. And so here's what he says. On the contrary, when they, that is the other apostles, saw that I had been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised, just as Peter had been entrusted with the gospel to the circumcised, for he who worked through Peter for his apostolic ministry to the circumcised worked also through me for mine to the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given to me, they gave the right hand of fellowship to Barnabas and me, that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the circumcised. In other words, there was a division of duties among the apostles. Christ had determined that Paul's unique role among the apostles is that he would blaze the trail and make the gospel available to the Gentiles, or as he calls them, to the uncircumcised. And all the apostolic band understood that. Peter's main ministry would be to the Jews and Paul's would be to the Gentiles. Now, if you're a Gentile and you're a non-Jew, you should take special note. This man, Paul, who loved the Jewish people, had given his life to winning Gentiles, like, like you and I. Okay, that's what Paul says in Romans 15. He says he's aware that he's a minister to the Gentiles. Now, follow the next phrase. He says that this ministry to the Gentiles is a priestly duty. And why? Because he says that the Gentile converts are his offering to God. That's really a marvelous image. You do know that in the Old Testament, it was the key duty of the priest that they were to attend the sacrifices. Animals were offered up to God, and these sacrifices are often described as a pleasing aroma to God. See, that phrase means that God is pleased with the offering, that God takes delight in that offering. So I want you to imagine the image. Paul has been planting churches up to this point, mainly in Turkey, then called Asia, and then in Greece. Men and women have heard the gospel of Jesus from his lips. They've repented of their sins. They have become obedient to the faith. And as these Gentile believers are being saved, God smells the aroma. He's pleased with this offering that Paul is laying on the altar before God. And after all, why shouldn't God be pleased? Because from the very beginning, God had promised Abraham that not only would he become a great nation, but that the whole earth would be blessed through him. And now as the Gentiles are being grafted into the people of God, God smiles. He sees the fulfillment of his plans. All right, let's continue Paul's description of his ministry. Remember, we're still in Romans 15, 16. First, he said that Christ uniquely called him to spearhead the Gentile ministry. And then second, he says that he's a priest laying each Gentile convert on the altar, and God finds these offerings to be acceptable. And finally now, Paul adds that the Gentiles that he has offered up on God's altar, well, they're sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, in the Old Testament, it was very important that every offering was properly acceptable to God. It, it had to be free from defects. It had to be the very best of the flock. Now, now, be careful. Paul's not saying that his Gentile converts are the elites among the Gentiles. You know, in 1 Corinthians, he said the opposite. Not many of his converts in Corinth were among the elites. Many of his converts were among the poor, the downtrodden, not the influential members of society. Paul is saying that, that the Holy Spirit has made all of his Gentile converts acceptable to God by purifying them from their sins. Well, that's all good news, and it tells us why this passage is important for us. If you're a Gentile, 
This passage is especially for you. It tells you that God in his mercy arranged for your salvation. He did it first by promising that salvation would come to the Gentiles, and then, and then he did it by choosing that special apostle through whom he would make the message of the gospel known. Then God accepted you in the same way as he accepted an offering in the Old Testament. That is, when you came to Christ, you were pleasing in God's sight because the Holy Spirit made you pleasing. See, this passage is an indication of just how much God has loved you. And for that reason, we should study this passage in great detail. And as we do, we should revel in our apostle, our apostle Paul, for he really is our apostle, appointed by God to bring the Gentiles to him. Now, with that as a background, let's go through this passage. And as we do, we're going to notice four important application points. First, we should notice what salvation has done in us. And then second, we need to give thanks for how Paul's ministry has touched us. And then third, we need to give thanks for the wideness of God's mercy. And then finally, fourth, we need to pray that the task for evangelizing the Gentiles might be finished. So let's start with our first point of application. Would you notice what our salvation has done in us? Look again at verses 14 and 15. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness and filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points, I've written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given to me by God. See, I love that opening phrase. I'm satisfied about you, my brothers. That doesn't mean that Paul finds the Roman Christians to be perfect. And it certainly doesn't mean that they weren't struggling with their own sins. I mean, you should know that later in the book of Philippians, Paul would notice that the Roman Christians were far too timid in sharing their faith. But there were certain qualities that he did see in them that deeply pleased him. And, and from that, we will learn which qualities, when we have them, deeply satisfy and, and also please our God. As we enter a new year, we want to begin by expressing our sincere gratitude to all those who so graciously supported Back to the Bible Canada's year-end ministry campaign. Your gift in December was critical to launching the ministry into the new year, sustaining our Bible teaching resources, and providing a springboard for new and innovative opportunities. So on behalf of Dr. John Newfeld, Phil Calloway, In Doubt, and the entire Back to the Bible Canada ministry team, Thank you. What you do is essential to the mission of this organization, and we're blessed beyond words for your generosity. As we enter a new year, please continue to pray for this ministry. And if Back to the Bible Canada is an important part of your spiritual walk with Jesus, and you believe in the mission of Bible teaching, please consider continuing your financial support or becoming a monthly partner. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit Back to the Bible. If you're at all familiar with the letters of Paul, you'll know that, well, he doesn't use flattery. I mean, he's never uncomfortable in pointing out our sins and, and those areas in our lives where change is definitely needed. And so when he tells the church in Rome that he is satisfied with them, he is not flattering them. 
Rather, he has in mind several important characteristics that are essential to the life of every Christian. First, he mentions that they are full of goodness, and the word full means they're not lacking in this commodity. They have plenty of goodness. But when he speaks of goodness, is there something specific that he has in mind? I think he does. One commentator thinks that Paul is speaking about generosity in heart. That is, he notices how generous they are. They gladly give of themselves to others, well, we'd say in time and in money. Second, he says they are filled with all knowledge, and that means that they have an in-depth comprehension of the Christian faith. And, And if you think about that, well, that's exciting. I mean, after all, Paul didn't plant the church in Rome, and yet this is a church that is deeply rooted in the faith. It knows the truth. And third, he says they're able to instruct one another. They're they're actively teaching new believers. They're they're helping other believers to, to mature in their faith. They're doing what a good church does. You see what pleases God? God is pleased when churches are generous to others, when they're deeply rooted in their faith, and when they're instructing new believers. Of course, as we've said, they're not perfect, and Paul says that he wrote them about some matters. But at the very least, these three virtues— generosity, doctrinal rootedness, and effective teaching in the faith, that is pleasing to God. Now, let's move to our second point of application. Each Gentile believer needs to thank God for the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Were it not for his sufferings and his sacrifice, were it not for his insights into the gospel for the Gentiles, we, that is Gentile believers, would never have believed. We need to thank God for the vessel or the agent that God used to bring the salvation of Christ to us. Look again at verses 16 and 17. To be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 now, in Christ Jesus then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. Now, we've already looked at the details of verse 16, but we we need to look at verse 17 and notice that Paul is proud of his work for God. Now, lest you accuse him of, of pride or arrogance, well, what he says in verse 18 will deny that. But Paul was never shy about what he thought was the quality of his work. Do you remember 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10? There he wrote, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. See, when Paul compared himself to a builder, he's clear to point out that he's not guilty of shoddy workmanship. He didn't book off early from the job. He didn't look to see how little he could get away with. He never said, well, that's good enough. The care and attention that he gave to his calling, it was all-consuming. Many of us are aware of the sheer physical toll that his work demanded of him. In 2 Corinthians 11, where he describes that matter, he speaks about the dangers he constantly lived under, including you know, persecution and the, and the beatings he endured, the long hours that left him often exhausted and, and sleepless. And then in verse 8, he says, And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. That's to say, Paul never stopped thinking about the churches he had begun. He knew their leaders. He, he knew their struggles. He, he was aware of external persecution, and he was also aware of the threat of false teachers. And in all of that, Paul had a commitment. It was his commitment to excellence. That meant that the gospel was taught and it was understood. 
It meant that leadership was in accord with the standard that Christ demanded. It meant that the moral life of the church was also demanded. It meant that Christ would continue to remain the focus of each local congregation. And Paul never slowed his pace. He he never stopped striving for that very best that he could do with the gifts that God had given him. And I, for one, have to pause and just give thanks. I mean, when I read Paul's letters, I am instructed in my faith. I know how the church should function. I know what it is to be grafted into the body of Christ. I find that I'm rooted and grounded in my faith because of the words that that he left behind. Uh, That's so because God chose a man who would not be satisfied with anything short of excellence. You know, if this man, Paul, was going to be an apostle of Christ to the Gentiles, he would never be satisfied by the words, good enough. You know, the third application has something to do with the wideness of God's mercy for the Gentiles. You know, I, for one, am constantly amazed by, by the extent of the ministry of Back to the Bible Canada. But while we've a base in Canada, we also know that we have a ministry in some parts in the U.S. We also know that we have a ministry in India, Bangladesh, in Iran, many other places. And you know, just the other day, I noticed people signing up for our ministry in Mogadishu. It's the capital city of Somalia. Now, of course, we're just one ministry. But all of this was made possible by the Apostle Paul. I mean, look again at what he says in verse 18 and 19. He says, For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now, as an aside, when, when Paul speaks of his ministry, which at that time of writing had extended from Jerusalem to Illyricum, I mean, we might wonder, I mean, where in the world is that? And fascinatingly enough, Illyricum was to the northwest of Greece. It actually corresponds to modern-day Albania. And so Paul had extended the gospel from Jerusalem through Syria, all of what is now called Turkey, and then through Greece, and then northwest of Greece into Albania. And here's an interesting question. You know, the book of Acts doesn't mention Paul's ministry to Illyricum, but, but Luke, the author of Acts, seems to leave room for it because in Acts 20, verses 1 to 6, he mentions Paul in Macedonia, that's northern Greece, and then he says he was going through all of those regions. So clearly, Paul at that time had traveled north of Greece. Now, as to the ministry that Paul undertook in those regions, his ministry was remarkably similar everywhere he went. He speaks about word and deed, that is, his miracles and his preaching. And the effect? He says that he has brought the Gentiles to obedience. And if you're wondering about that wording, to obedience, let me explain. Back in the beginning of the Roman letter, way back in Romans chapter 1, verse 5, Paul says that it is his task to bring about the obedience of faith. You know, another translation says, the obedience that comes from faith. You know, in short, Paul is never under any illusions. I mean, he knew that the mark of anyone who believes in Jesus is that person is always obedient to Jesus. So here's what Paul has done. He's planted churches of obedient Christians in Syria in Galatia, in Asia, in Macedonia, in Greece, and in Illyricum. See, that doesn't mean he's evangelized everyone in all of those regions. 
It does mean, however, that he planted a viable church in all of those areas, leaving that local church to evangelize their respective areas. And that formula has been repeated all over the world until you, my dear Gentile brother or sister in Christ, until you have heard the gospel and also became obedient to Christ. That's why we need to give thanks for Paul is not only the apostle to the first Christians, he's also our apostle. His work opened the door for us also to be laid on God's altar. We are a pleasing and acceptable sacrifice. Thank God for our apostle. Now the fourth application. We need to remember that the task begun by Paul as of yet is not complete. Look again at verse 20. And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. See, Paul knew that his ministry, the one that Christ assigned to him, was not complete. That's Paul's ongoing legacy to the church. We can never be comfortable by simply living in a Christian community. I've long loved the words of C.T. Studd. He said once, some men want always to live within the sound of a steeple bell but I want to build a rescue station, he said, about a mile from hell. See, it's that restless urge. It's the urge to take the gospel into areas of the world where there is no gospel witness. This is done in memory of our apostle. We make it our ambition to preach Christ where he has never been named. You see, verses 14 to 20 should never be passed over. They fill our hearts with gratitude and they inspire us to be faithful in our day. John, I just want to go back just for a second. You just quoted C.T. Studd, and, and what a quote it is, really talks about his passion when he said, some men want always to live within the sound of a steeple bell, but I want to build a rescue station about a mile from hell. You know, Ben, I think that is a calling of God to go to places where the gospel has never been heard And whoever does that must know that these are satanic strongholds and there will be a strong resistance. And that kind of an attitude always brings with it a great deal of suffering. The good news is people who do that identify with the sufferings of Christ probably more than the rest of us. But that is the spirit of the Apostle Paul that that brought the gospel to us. We we need to revel in the fact that these men uh, filled out the sufferings of Christ by doing these things. What a blessing to have such a heritage. And let's rekindle that fire and that passion. Thanks for joining us right here on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Since 1957, Back to the Bible Canada has provided excellent and trustworthy Bible teaching for Canadians. What has been accomplished is a result of people like you listening right now who share our hearts for this mission. In particular, those who have chosen to join us in ministry as monthly partners. As we begin a new year, perhaps becoming an 1119 monthly partner might be something you'd consider. Your investment in this ministry assures that people of all ages and stages of life have opportunity to discover more about a new life in Christ through the study of God's Word. Your partnership in 2022 will provide the resources to sustain and expand the reach of Bible teaching across Canada and beyond. To learn more about the 1119 Monthly Partnership Program, 
visit backtothebible.ca slash fellowship or call us at 1-800-663-2425.